It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mader. We got the Sunday night, the Monday night recap, and of course, the all-important waiver wire report as we head into the next week. We head into week 12. We head into Thanksgiving week right now. And I have to admit with you guys, when we get to this waiver wire report at the end of the show today, while I have a decent list of names, it's not the high quality that you would normally look for coming out of the waiver wire report. Nothing game-changing. Although, there was news coming out earlier today that give us one name that will stand above the rest. We'll talk about that later on in the show, so stay tuned for that. Of course, so to kick things off, we got the Kansas City Chiefs and the Las Vegas Raiders. We'll start with the Sunday night recap. And this was, well, more of a shootout than I was expecting it to be, quite frankly. I thought after that last game, the first game that these two teams met, that the Kansas City Chiefs defense, especially coming out of the bye week, would have made some adjustments to what the Raiders did to them in the first game. And I thought the Raiders would actually have a hard time even keeping this game close, frankly, with all the issues that they were having with their defense, having to not really be able to practice. They were only able to do virtual meetings for their game planning this week for the most part. They were able to get back the majority of their starters, however, for this game. Not that it really mattered. The Chiefs offense did what it wanted to do. But this game in itself wound up being much closer than I really anticipated it 
being. So, Kansas City Chiefs, they take care of business 35-31 in this game. Both offenses came out firing in the first couple of drives, 14-14, and it wound up being 17-14 heading into the half. And then, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes in great, tremendous fashion comes out. Game-winning drive at the end of the game. Game-winning touchdown. Puts the thing away. You just left too much time on the clock for Patrick Holmes to be able to operate. And really, I put that on John Gruden. There was absolutely no reason to not to continue running the football to at least, if nothing else, you weren't going to pick up the first down, but if you continue to run the football at the end of that game, you would have at least forced the Kansas City Chiefs to burn all of their timeouts. Instead, they tried to throw the ball to try to go for the first down on, I believe it was second down. As a result of that, it wants to be an incomplete pass. And now the Kansas City Chiefs not only get the ball back with well over a minute and a half left, but they also had one timeout to be able to utilize. You cannot give Patrick Mahomes and that offense, especially against the Raiders defense of all defenses, over a minute and a half and a timeout to have to come back down and score a touchdown. And actually, at the end of the game, they, they just kicked the field goal. This thing would have went into overtime, but they were able to come marching right down the field, and there was nothing the Raiders could do to stop them. So that I put that 100% on John Gruden and mismanaging the clock in that situation and knowing who you're playing against. You cannot give Patrick Mahomes a timeout over a minute and a half. But neither here nor there when it comes to fantasy football purposes. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes was tremendous, 348 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, he is right there, I believe, with Aaron Rodgers as the MVP candidates. I don't believe Russell Wilson can be the MVP candidate anymore. His team, while they beat Arizona last week, his team has dropped too many games. He's become too much of a turnover machine. And you're dealing with the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs, who both have better records than they do. I just don't see, with the way Mahomes is playing, with the way Rodgers has been playing, how Wilson gets the MVP if he continues to flutter the way he has. And even in that Arizona game, he didn't play particularly great. He did what he needed to do to get his team to win, but it wasn't over-the-top successful. So I'm starting to be more of the belief that either Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers should be the MVP, not Russell Wilson moving forward. From a fantasy perspective, all three of those guys are top five quarterbacks in your book. Nothing changes there. The, really, the only story here to talk about is Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Le'Veon Bell and the running back unit as a whole. We have big questions about... What is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's going... What is his value going to be moving forward? Because it wasn't just the fact that he was dealing with Le'Veon who was getting touches. It was also the fact that they were just not involving the running backs for the past couple of games before heading into the bye week. Well, they definitely came out with a plan of attack, especially early on in this game, that they were going to get the running game going again. CEH gets 14 carries in this game, 69 yards, two touchdowns. He did get one catch for eight yards on two targets. That might be the more concerning thing. He's not losing passing down work to Le'Veon Bell. He's losing passing down work to Daryl Williams. They both are, which is surprising. Now, all of a sudden, Andy Reid wants to use all three of these backs. Daryl Williams has three targets, three catches, 22 yards. But when you just look at that box score, it's like, well, Clyde only had, had two targets. He only had one more target. It was the amount of snaps. Darrell Williams was in when they were going two-minute drill, when they were trying to come back from behind, when they were going no huddle. Darrell Williams was the running back. It was not CEH, and it wasn't even Le'Veon Bell for that matter. Now, Le'Veon Bell gets his first touchdown as a Kansas City Chief in this game. Seven carries, 25 yards. What this game did prove was that moving forward, I think you have to look at Le'Veon Bell as not a guy who's in a timeshare with CEH and therefore a possible flex play. He is the handcuff. That is what he is. He is not the guy who's going to actually explain. He got his work, 
you know, four, seven carries to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's 14, but it wasn't the 50-50 split that it seemingly had been in touches leading up to this point. So he is more of a high handcuff than he is a possible flex play at any point this season. Now, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, while overall he played a very good game and he had 4.9 yards of carry and he had two touchdowns, and you're not going to complain about his fantasy day, the fact that he got 14 carries in a game in which they clearly made an emphasis to want to get the running game going again, especially early on in the game, does leave me a little bit worried about what his overall ceiling truly is moving forward. Is this a guy who should be hovering around that 15-touch mark? Should be. But I think he's going to struggle between that 12 and 15 touch mark on most weeks. And if you only get 12 touches, even though you're the Kansas City Chiefs, that's good enough to make you at least a low-end RB2. I worry about his ceiling in the games that he does not score multiple touchdowns or even a touchdown. Take that away. It's not an overly impressive fantasy day yet again against a good, ra- a great matchup for the running back in the Raiders' defense. So in a game in which they had to get the running game going, made an emphasis to get the running game going, he still only winds up with 14 carries. Part of that is Le'Veon Bell eats in with seven carries. Part of that is that the Raiders actually had the Chiefs back on their heels in the second half and had to stay aggressive, and Patrick Mahomes still throw the ball 45 times. But Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball over 40-plus times is going to be a consistent factor. So that's why I still worry a little bit about CEH. I don't think there's at any point he's going to be considered an RB1 in your playoff races. But as an RB2, it was good to see they got back to knowing, like, hey, you know what? We got to get the running backs at least involved in the game plan. So he'll take that and be on the Kansas City Chiefs. He'll have multiple chances to score. That way he'll always be hovering around that RB2 territory. But I'm not expecting big RB1, big ceiling performances out of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, frankly, for the rest of the season. Just due to the fact that Le'Veon Bell is going to get touches. Apparently, Darrell Williams is going to get touches in, in the receiving game. And you have to deal with the fact that Patrick Mahomes is going to throw it down the field a lot on top of it. Not not negating his talent, not negating his situation, his his opportunity. Just well, it, that is it. I am negating his opportunity to some degree, and I'm a little bit concerned about what his ceiling actually is. But I think you can play him as a lower end RB two who has some upside, given that he might get opportunities to score. Now you move into you know have the Kansas City Chiefs. You have the you have the passing game. You have Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. Kelsey goes for eight catches, 127 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets in this game. Tyreek Hill gets 11 receptions, 102 yards, a touchdown on 14 targets. Obviously, they're great. Obviously, you're firing them up every every week. Travis Kelsey is the tight end one. Tyreek Hill is, frankly, in my book, a top five wide receiver the rest of the way. He's been incredibly consistent all season long. That's a new development for Tyreek Hill. He's always been that guy who's been a little bit hit or miss. You kind of knew that going in. Now, he's an elite hit or miss option, obviously, because his big games are bigger than everybody else's big games. But he's never been the guy that every single week he was going to consistently come through for you with wide receiver one performances. That's been the case this season. He has been as consistent as they come. It's been absolutely incredible. Now, Sammy Watkins, although didn't suit up for this game and was expected to during the week, he is, they're coming out right away and saying that they expect Sammy Watkins to suit up week 12. Does that change anything? Not really, because what I'm looking at in this game is I look at Demarcus Robinson, who had eight targets in this ballgame, six catches, 44 yards. Sammy Watkins, getting about eight targets is what he normally does within the confines of this offense. Now, is there going to be game scripts where the Chiefs are not having to go back and forth with some teams or the game scripts where they blow some people out towards the stretch half of the season? Yeah. 
and they'll get the running backs more involved in those situations. There won't be a need to get Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey double-digit targets. But in this offense, you know that they're going to be aggressive constantly with the football. Not only, there's been a lot of talk about Patrick Mahomes playing at a, a higher level this season. I see Tyreek Hill playing at a higher level this season. He has looked better to me all around than I think he has any other season. And that's saying a lot for a guy who's as talented as Tyreek Hill and as great as he has been. He's looks like he's toying with people out there this year. Now, I don't know if it's because, you know, he's this is the first year, knock on wood, that he hasn't had to deal with an injury of some sort, where every other year he seems like he's dealing with, maybe it's a hamstring, maybe it's a shoulder, maybe it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. This year, he just looks like he's flat out toying with people. He really does. I've been very impressed with him overall in his game. I think the consistency is going to continue for Tyreek Hill, frankly. And that's why I look at Demarcus Robinson, I look at his eight targets, and I think to myself, Sammy Watkins comes in, that's pretty much what he's going to be looking at. So there's no reason to think that Kelsey and Hill continue to get double-digit targets on a near-consistent basis like they have been so far can't continue. But obviously the Kansas City Chiefs, when it boils down to it, if you have a fantasy player that you've been depending upon and they're a Kansas City Chief player, you're playing in their lineup every single week. Nothing really changes there. Move over to the Raiders' side of the ball. Talk about Derek Carr. Played very well in this game. 275 yards, three touchdowns. I have to hand it to Derek Carr. The biggest difference of him this year compared to really any other year, and this this includes last year under John Gruden as well, he's actually willing to be more aggressive. Now, part of that is because they have the wide receivers to where they're built to be more aggressive. They're built to go downfield more. But I question, was Derek Carr actually going to let it fly? Because really up until this point, he's predominantly been a check down quarterback. And it still takes the right matchup. I still don't want to stream him moving forward if I can at all help it. But it does seem like here and there he's been having pretty solid performances. Now, I don't think he's ever going to be higher than a quarterback 16 or so for me at any given week. So like I said, in the streaming territory, but even in different matchups, Derek Carr has still been the Derek Carr of better football player than he is a fantasy player. However... He continues to get the ball to Darren Waller, which is what you really need him to do for fantasy football purposes anyway. Seven catches, 88 yards, a touchdown on seven targets. And Nelson Aguilar, who we might actually talk about in the waiver wire report, spoiler alert, six catches, 88 yards, a touchdown on nine targets. He has consistently been worked in as the number one wide receiver over these past few weeks. Now, it's still hit or miss. There hasn't been too many games where we've seen both Waller and a receiver get significant amount of targets together. This offense is not as high volume, generally speaking. There's usually only one or two guys that are going to get the targets any given week. This week, it happened to be Waller and Nelson Aguilar. Everybody else was two, three, one, one, one. I mean, Derek Carr is going out there and really trying to spread the ball around. That's that's really all he's trying to attempt to do, frankly. And Nelson Aguilar has been the guy more times not that they've taken the shots with. He's playing as the perimeter starting wide receiver over Brian Edwards, who's just struggled in his rookie campaign. And he's looked pretty good. Now, is he anything more than a boomer bust wide receiver for moving forward? No, he's not anything more than that. But he is fantasy relevant, which is something more than I ever thought I was going to be saying about Nelson Aguilar in 2020. And that can be your big... Oh, yep, there's 2024 you with Nelson Aguilar actually becoming fantasy relevant after being a joke for the Philadelphia Eagles. After being a guy I thought had to be run out of the league because he couldn't catch the ball. He had the yips. There was nothing special about him. And all of a sudden he goes to the Raiders here and he's been lighting it up and he's been very dependable. 
Now, I still don't really trust a pass catcher from a week-to-week basis not named Darren Waller on this football team. But if you're going to pick one wide receiver who can have some hit-or-miss value, who's going to get the targets next to Darren Waller more times than not, that person's been Nelson Aguilar. Not Hunter Renfro, not Henry Ruggs, not Brian Edwards. It's been Nelson Aguilar. And I'll just quick mention Henry Ruggs here. One catch, five yards, one target. Henry Ruggs is not fantasy-relevant. I know a lot of people want to keep looking at him as a boomer bust option, knowing what his physical skill level is. He's not involved in the offense enough. He's not developed enough to actually have a significant amount of targets thrown his way, number one, or playing time. They've been rotating Zay Jones and Hunter Renfro and Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards. The only constant has been Nelson Aguilar. And we'll talk about him a little bit more during the waiver wire report. Josh Jacobs has a solid fantasy day for you here. 17 carries, 55 yards, comes away with a touchdown. Only one catch for nine yards on the target. This part has been interesting. It kind of goes to Derek Carr, who's been willing to throw the ball down the field more and more lately, and that is because he's not checking the ball down to the running backs. And as a result, the running backs as a unit for this team, after being heavily involved last season, whether it was Jacobs or Jalen Rashard, have not really been involved much at all this season, frankly. And over the past couple of weeks, it's only been really a couple of targets here and there, one to one running back, one to another running back. I mean, Devontae Booker only had one target in this game. Jacobs only had one target in this game. Ingold had three targets in this game, but only one catch for 11 yards. The running backs are just not involved in this passing attack because Derek Carr is getting more aggressive throughout this season. And that's something I don't expect to change. So on one hand, it's... You know, all the Josh Jacobs owners out there want to have this silver lining of, well, you know, it's not that he's not involved or it's not that he's getting uninvolved because there's another running back taking over the third down role from him, but they had just haven't involved the running backs at all. Well, either way, tomato, tomato, you still get the same end result, which is Josh Jacobs doesn't get involved in the passing game the way you would like him to. And that's a simple fact. You have to depend on him for these carries. You have to depend on him for those touchdowns. And for the most part, he's been able to deliver those touchdowns on a consistent basis. Is he the high-end RB1 that people were hoping for? No. But is he a low-end RB1, a very high-end RB2? Yeah, 100%. That's that's why you're not going to move off of him. He's just not going to have quite that ceiling that I think a lot of people were hoping that you could maybe see him take that next step this season. It's just not in the cards for them with the way they're running their offense so far this year. I don't see why that would suddenly change heading into week 12. So we have to treat Josh Jacobs for what he is. He is a guy who's going to get a high amount of carries. He's going to get somewhere around that 18 to 20 range more times than not. He's going to be a great candidate to score a touchdown. They will lean on the running game, and he's going to be a solid producer every single week. And that's what you have to treat him as. You can't look at him as somebody you keep hoping to get involved in the passing game. It's just, frankly, it's just not going to happen on a consistent basis, even if there's an outlier here or there for the rest of the season. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. Nothing feels as good as making others feel good. Those so-called feel-good holiday films? They can't hold a gingerbread-scented candle to the feeling of giving them something that gives them all the feels. Make this December 
one to remember. Together, click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. So that's going to wrap it up for a recap for the Sunday night game. So now we get into the Monday night game, and that was a it was a great game actually. We had really two pr- great primetime games, which honestly is probably a long time we could say that three primetime games because even the Thursday night game between the Cardinals and the Seahawks was actually entertaining. So all in all, all these primetime national games are actually you know living up to the hype that you want them to when the entire nation is watching. I guess that's the good news on that front. And then if you look at the Rams offense. In general, boy, did they come through in a big way. But before we get into the Rams offense here, there's something I want to take the time to really dive into. And it's something that I feel like I offer on this show that there's not a lot of available to you on other fantasy football shows out there. And one of those things that we like to do is break down the schematics and why things are going the way they are. The Rams offense, especially the passing attack in particular, had a big day. And I think a lot of people are going to be kind of confused by this because when you look at the Tampa Bay's defense, they're supposed to be top 10, not just in the rushing game this year, but also in the passing game. And they've been stingy this season at different moments. But lately, over the past two to three weeks, I would say at this point, they've been a bit disappointing. And I think a big reason for that is Todd Bowles is not coaching like Todd Bowles. This Tampa Bay defense is not playing like this Tampa Bay defense. Todd Bowles is a coach that is made for being aggressive. That is what he does. This Tampa Bay defense is made to be aggressive. This is not a sit back on your heels, play read and react, play zone defense especially. Over the past few weeks, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been playing a lot of soft zone. I haven't been able to put my finger on as to why. They have stopped being aggressive, which is what made Todd Bowles and this defense very, very dangerous, especially playing complimentary football to Tom Brady and this offense. And as a result of all of that, all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where maybe the Tampa Bay secondary, maybe their defense against the opponent's passing attack is not as scary as it once was in the beginning of the season. Before you see Tampa Bay on the schedule, and we knew automatically you weren't going to be happy to play your running back, but even the passing game, you had some questions about exactly what your ceiling was going to be. And because they've now switched to the soft zone over the past few weeks, it's opened up the passing attack. It's opened up the fantasy ceiling for whoever they're playing against. And I tell you what, if they go into Kansas City, or I believe Kansas City is actually going to Tampa Bay, I'm not if I'm not mistaken. We'll clear that up for you guys on Thursday, of course. Uh, but if they go against Kansas City and they're playing that soft zone again, that Kansas City passing attack is going to light them up. And what could have been a closer game on paper on Sunday, it's going to be one of the best matchups to watch, no doubt about it. Kansas City's offense, I think their passing attack, might light them up almost the same way they just lit up the Raiders because of the way Todd Bowles is coaching this team. So something to kind of watch, and if you have players, if you have wide receivers, you have quarterbacks going up against Tampa defense in your playoff matchups, it might not be the fearful matchup you once had in the beginning of the year. I just want to point that out. They're playing a little bit differently, and as a result, there's better numbers being had by wide receivers. You still can't run on them, and the the Rams found that out in a big way in this game. I mean, nobody, absolutely nobody got going on the rushing game. You had Darrell Henderson who went for eight carries, Cam Akers went for five, Malcolm Brown went for three, and the three of them put together combined for 40 yards on the ground. I mean, it was absolutely atrocious as far as trying to get running room. Cam Akers came with a touchdown in the receiving game, 
But really, there was not a running back who was worth a dime in this game. The only thing that we can really take as far as the Rams running back situation goes is that all three running backs, once again, were involved in the game plan. And while Darrell Henderson still wound up with the most touches of the three, and I expect that to continue more times than not, his floor is dwindling faster and faster and faster because Cam Akers is playing more and more and more as the season wears on. And what what looked like possibly Daryl Henderson solidifying it as his backfield first is now, I think, falling back into a gray area where now Daryl Henderson still being the more fantasy valuable back for the Los Angeles Rams in my book might not be anything more than a high-end RB3 at best, a low-end RB2 moving forward because the touches are getting circulated now between a three-man rotation. If the Colts have taught us anything and if other teams that have taught us anything is that when you have a three-man rotation of Baltimore Ravens, that's the other team I was trying to think of, the Baltimore Ravens, there a three-man rotation kills everyone's value. So Daryl Henderson will still be an RB3 in my book moving forward, but that floor is consistently dropping as Cam Akers gets to play more and as Malcolm Brown still continues to be a thing. But that wasn't the big story on the day for fantasy football purposes. The big story was the passing attack. Jared Goff coming through with 376 yards and three touchdowns. They didn't put up numbers like this against Seattle a couple of weeks ago. That's how crazy this game, or last week, that's how crazy this was to see Jared Goff on the road against what's supposed to be a top 10 defense come through with a huge performance. And that's why I wanted to kick off this recap by talking about Tampa Bay's defense and what they've been doing schematically differently over the past few weeks and why I think they're just not as stingy of a defense right now until Todd Bowles switches back to -to man-to-man and switches back to being aggressive again because when you play zone against, especially against the Rams of all teams, which like the the last team you want to play zone predominantly against because if you put pressure in Jared Goff's face, he'll crumble, especially on the road. You let them get time to throw the football, get set. They didn't even have Andrew Whitworth in this game. That's why I thought for sure Tampa Bay was going to go into this game, balls to the wall, and flying after the quarterback here. They didn't even have Andrew Whitworth, and yet Jared Goff still 376 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. Of course, a lot of credit needs to go to Sean McVay, as it normally does when this Rams offense does well, because he really coached a heck of a game. And what was more important in this one, for all the fantasy owners out there who have been waiting for Cooper Cup and Robert Woods to both be able to feast and both be the wide receivers that we know that they can be, they featured the crap out of their two top wide receivers. Oh my goodness. Cooper Cup, 11 catches, 145 yards, 13 targets. He doesn't score in this game. Who cares? What a huge game out of Cooper Cup, which there was a little bit of question, you know, what is he only a floor player at this point? Does he have a ceiling? This was by far his best game of the year. And like I said, the only thing he didn't do was come through for a touchdown. But you're hoping to see more performances like this out of the Rams moving forward. One of the things schematically that they did a little bit differently, not so much differently, but did more of, was that they did more no-huddle offense. It's been a very effective for them all season long when they go no-huddle, when they go fast tempo. 
And what they've been doing in weeks past and up until this point in this in this season is that they've been using it in spurts here and there. They did it a lot in this game, especially in the first half. And that's really when they put up most of their points. But they did it a lot throughout this game. Whenever they needed to get in a drive where they knew they needed a spark, they knew they needed to score, they would go fast-paced. And Jared Goff plays better than that. The offense in general just plays better when they are going fast-paced offense. We expect to see more and more of that as we wear on. And the fact that they finally got back to actually just featuring their two best wide receivers. Stop involving Josh Reynolds to the degree that you were. Stop involving Van Jefferson to the degree that you were. Just get your two top guys the ball and let them go to work. Robert Woods, who I didn't even mention, 15 targets led the way. 12 catches, 130 yards. He did get into the end zone. This should at least be a positive sign for things to come as far as their floors and their ceilings should be a lot higher after a tough matchup like this. They go to play San Francisco next week, and while San Francisco's defense has been very banged up, they've still been solid against most teams, but they also play predominantly a cover three zone, similar to what they saw here against Tampa Bay. If the Rams stick with their up-tempo throughout that game, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods should be just fine. At least they should have high floors in that matchup, if nothing else. But they have started to get these guys more involved over the past couple of games, dating back to the Miami game, where they finally had to target Cooper Cup a bunch of times in that one as well. So it's just good to see, because you need Cooper Cup and Robert Woods if you're going into your playoff races, and you need them to perform like the wide receiver twos that they're supposed to be. Now you flip it over to the Tampa Bay side of the ball, where there's a lot of disappointment. Tom Brady didn't have a particularly good game. Rams defense, that's the other thing. Rams defense are for real. Right now, the Rams look like the best team in the NFC West to me, just in general right now, because they're playing the best football on both sides of the ball. Better than the Arizona Cardinals, better than the Seattle Seahawks, of course. When it comes to both sides of the football, that Rams defense has been playing better and better as the season's worn on. And Tom Brady found that out in a big way with 216 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, even though they didn't get a ton of pressure on him, he only got one sack in this game. They disrupted him all throughout the game. They had they had good coverage, and once again, the Rams are kind of turning into the new Tampa Bay, where you can't run on them. I mean, Ronald Jones, ten carries, twenty four yards. Leonard Fournette, seven carries, seventeen yards. He did walk away with a goal line touchdown, but only one catch for nine yards. Had three drops in this game was absolutely insane that that happened. Ronald Jones only had one target. The running backs, not only are they continuing to eat into each other, but in this game, they just vastly underperformed. Ronald Jones is still going to be the more valuable back. He was still the guy who got the start. He was still the running back who got the majority of the touches at the end of the day. But he is going to be very much touch or very much matchup based. I believe, moving forward. It has to be a game in which Tampa Bay, you think on paper, is going to be able to run the ball very successfully. Otherwise, I don't trust it because he's already going to be losing touches. It's not going to be Leonard Fournette. I thought I kept thinking all season long it was going to come, that Fournette at some point was going to take over this backfield. I do think that he's the better running back to Ronald Jones, especially the better all-around running back for sure. That does not look like it's going to happen unless Ronald Jones was to get hurt at some point. So Ronald Jones is going to be the more favorable back when it comes to fantasy football because he's going to get most of the touches most of the time. But it's still going to be game script dependent. It has to be against an opponent that you think they're going to have success running the football on. Otherwise, his floor is going to be very, very low. Something just to kind of keep in mind when you're going through roster construction. As far as the wide receivers go, 
all three guys continue to be involved. 13 targets for Antonio Brown, 10 targets for Chris Godwin, 9 targets for Mike Evans. They have pretty much operated at this. All three of these guys get featured at a significant clip. All three have been able to eat when it comes to opportunities. As long as that continues to be the case, then all three are viable fantasy plays. I came into this week thinking this could be a lower scoring game. Didn't quite work out that way. Wasn't a super high scoring game either, but wasn't the low scoring game that I thought it might be with the way these two defenses I thought would play. The Rams defense played the way I thought they would. The Tampa Bay defense did not. Having said that, Chris Godwin was able to come through with a touchdown for you. Mike Evans was able to come through with a touchdown with you. Antonio Brown gave you a decent floor in this game. Eight catches, 57 yards on his 13 targets. Seven catches, 53 yards for Chris Godwin. And then five catches, 49 yards for Mike Evans. You can just continue to, I believe you continue to play them all as wide receiver threes. Because they're all significantly involved, they all have high floors. The problem is because they're all significantly involved with one another, I don't know if they have super high ceilings unless Tom Brady is having himself a day. If Tom Brady is playing like he's going to throw for 350 yards that game, then all three of these guys can have their ceilings. But otherwise, because they're just so evenly distributed amongst these three wide receivers, and Mike Evans is really the only big play wide receiver, or at least the only receiver who's getting put in that in that role where he can make a big play and go down the field, I think Mike Evans is the one with the best ceiling of the group, but probably the lowest floor because Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown will continue to get featured as they rotate in and out of the slot as the second wide receiver. And I think that's what you're seeing a lot of in this game. So they both, Chris Godwin was able to score. Mike Evans was able to score. They all give you good performances in this one. The important thing is moving forward that they all have value because they're all eating equally. And in my book are all wide receiver threes right now at this point because they're kind of all taking away from each other, their ceilings are low-end wide receiver twos at the moment, Uh, which is not really what you drafted, especially Chris Godwin and Mike Evans to be, but at least they are giving you a safe floor. And if they give you touchdowns like they did in this game, then they can kind of put you close to that wide receiver two category, if not in it. But it's not going to have a particularly high ceiling. I don't think there's going to be too many games where Chris Godwin and Mike Evans go over 100 yards. I don't throw Antonio Brown into that mix either. I don't think there's going to be too many games that go over 100 yards because of how evenly these guys are being distributed, unless they're playing against a really weak secondary defense along the way here. So that's what you kind of have to look out for. But they're all fantasy relevant. The one thing I will mention here, Rob Gronkowski, six targets. So the opportunities were there, but only two catches, 25 yards. Since the emergence of Antonio Brown, the value of Rob Gronkowski has dropped, basically. And while he's still in that streamability area as a tight end, as a guy who gets targeted in the red zone and has a has the potential to score a touchdown on a what's a overall good offense and will have better days than what we just saw this week against the Rams, they should have a better game against the Kansas City Chiefs next week, especially after watching what the Raiders did to them. That could be a game where they all have really high ceilings and will all probably be close to that wide receiver two range for me in that rankings because of playing against the Kansas City Chiefs. Rob Gronkowski will be in that streamable territory as a tight end because he's seeing these opportunities. But again, his floor has significantly come down since Antonio Brown has become a factor within his offense because he's just not getting those yards over the middle like he was when it was just Chris Godwin and Mike Evans or for really a lot of this season, just Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski. 
So something to kind of keep in mind there. He's not a lock-it-in top 12 tight end in my book with Antonio Brown there, but he is in that streamability territory because he is just he's on a good offense with just as good of a chance to score as really any other tight end out there that you're looking at and hoping they just find a way to get in the end zone so you have a serviceable day right now at this point. So now that we recap that Monday night game, we get into the waiver wire report. And like I said, I was able, surprisingly enough, to come up with a decent list of names as far as the amount of names I was able to put on this list, because I wasn't expecting to put many. But once again, like I said earlier on the show, there's not a lot of high-end names. I don't think there's a lot of guys on here that are really going to change anybody's team heading into the following week, but there are some ads that you need to make. And we'll start off with the most obvious one, especially after the news that came out on Monday afternoon, and that is Gus Edwards. He should be the number one pickup of the week, hands down, especially if you are somebody who needs a win this week to try to get into your playoff and get into that last spot, maybe hindering in the balance there. Gus Edwards is the guy you're going to have to go after. He is going to be the big pickup for Week 12 as far as being able to change teams because Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins both tested positive for the coronavirus. They're not going to be cleared by, by Thursday. We know that much. We're still getting word exactly on who the high-risk contacts are, and maybe by the time you're listening to this show sometime on Tuesday, we'll know that by then. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at BellyUpMDFFShow. We'll keep you up to date throughout. But that's going to be the fact of the situation. They're not going to play, meaning Gus Edwards has just now found himself in the situation of being the lone workhorse back. Now, will Justice Hill probably get involved? I would imagine to some degree when they look to pass the ball, they may try to make a game plan to get Justice Hill involved in that aspect of it. But all the carries are going to go to Gus Edwards. All the goal line carries, all the carries between the 20s. He's going to probably get 20-plus carries in this game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And if you remember... In that first game against the Steelers back in week eight, I believe it was. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Gus Edwards actually had a pretty efficient day. The running game for the Baltimore Ravens in general had a pretty efficient game that day where you had J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards were splitting work. Mark Ingram was hurt, and both of them were able to actually kind of gash the Steelers a little bit throughout the game and find more success than most running backs have had. So I know a lot of people are going to look at this and say, well, we don't really love the matchup here. A little bit worried about that. We know Gus Edwards is not really a factor too much in the passing game. I would argue none of the Ravens running backs have been a factor in the passing game on a consistent basis from week to week all year long. I mean, J.K. Dobbins would occasionally get five targets in the game, but then he would just as easily get one or zero. So it's not like they've been involving the running back unit as a whole in the passing game to that much to begin with. If Gus Edwards is going to be the lone guy and he's going to give me 20 carries with Lamar Jackson and this Baltimore Ravens defense, I don't care they're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. Him getting 80 yards and a touchdown is very, very reasonable and I think should be expected as a potential floor for Gus Edwards in this game. Like I said, if you're in a a dire, not even dire situation. If you're in a situation where you need to win this week, Gus Edwards should be somebody that you're targeting because he'll be an RB2 heading into the week 12. Now, if you are someone who is set up to make the playoffs, you don't necessarily need a win this week, then you 
may not want to try to burn the resources that it would probably take for you to get a Gus Edwards. Because this is going to be a one-week wonder. We would suspect that at least with COVID-19, you never know for sure. But what I will say is I think the expectation is at least one of them, if not both of them, would be back by week 13. So this is a pretty much a one-week play, but it's an important one-week play because it's not very often to get a guy who has RB2 potential coming off the waiver wire report, especially this late in the season where a lot of guys are gobbled up in these situations. He's only 7% owned on average. He is widely available out there. So this guy should be the number one pickup. If you have a top priority, use it. If you have a fab budget and you are in the situation where you need Gus Edwards to try to help you win a game this week, I think you have to think about going half at least half of your bad fad budget of whatever's left in order to get him because it's going to cost you some resources. And right now, it's pretty much it's do or die. If you're in that situation, you're either winning this week and next week to try to get in the playoffs or you're going to be out of it anyway. It's not time to hold back on resources depending on what you have left. If you need a Gus Edwards in your lineup this week, make sure you go ahead and get him. That's going to be the key thing. Now, the rest of these guys are guys that I don't think you have to spend fat budget on. I don't think you have to spend a priority on because there's so many guys in the same range that I can make an argument to be picked up at that if you miss out on one, you could easily pick up another and have about the same amount of value. And of course, I'll start to those off with the wide receivers uh, dramatically here because we have a, a list of guys at the wide receiver position that really all fall into this category. I'll start with Alamid Zacchaeus. Wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons. I've talked about this already a couple times already yesterday's show, and I'm going to talk about it again today. And I'll probably talk about it again on Thursday. I don't see any way Julio Jones suits up on Sunday. I just don't. After the way he looked with that hamstring injury, it did not look like to me that this was going to be a, oh, Julio will be able to manage and come through for us the following week. And if he does, he won't be anything more than a decoy. I don't see it happening. I don't see him suiting up for this game. So Alamid Zacchaeus is somebody who is a boomer bust wide receiver four type of project. But we've seen so far this season when Julio Jones goes out, he has come in and gotten targeted at a pretty significant rate. And even when Calvin Ridley came out, he came in the game and got a few targets a couple of weeks ago when Calvin Ridley missed that game. He is somebody they have brought in as a perimeter wide receiver when one of their two big guys have been out and he's been involved and Matt Ryan has looked for him. He's gotten seven, six, eight targets in some of these games that he's been playing in. Zacchaeus is somebody, especially against the Raiders next week, and that's, the, that's part of it. It's the matchup that they're playing next week. Is somebody that if you're looking for that wide receiver for that flex play and you need some, and especially if you're in deeper leagues, 10, 12 team leagues probably will be a better option out there for you, I would imagine at least. But if you are looking for, if you're in a deeper league, 14, 16 teams, or if you're just looking for a wide receiver for you're looking for that flex play, this is a guy that could possibly be on your radar. It won't cost you a dime to get him. He's 0.4% owned on average. So he's pretty much, he's available in over 99% of leagues out there. Because of his name and nobody knows him really all that well, no one's going to go after this guy. So you don't have to spend any resources on him whatsoever and you'll be able to pick him up. So just a name to kind of think about. Now, He's on the bottom, I would say, of this list that I have cultivated. And once again, I mean, this is the first time joining the show. What I do is I take you know, the guys who are less than 50% owned on average throughout all the major platforms. So I, I gather ESPN and Yahoo and CBS and NFL, put them all together for you. I get the average ownership out there, and then I put that out there. So hopefully we're as widely encompassing as we possibly can be, depending upon what platform you're playing on. So Zacchaeus is probably as wide encompassing as it gets. He's going to be widely available pretty much anywhere you are playing. 
We talked about Nelson Aguilar a little bit when we went over the Sunday Night Football recap. He's only 10% owned on average. Nelson Aguilar, like I said, again, he's a wide receiver four. He's a boomer bust project, but he has been the most consistent wide receiver one for the Raiders, the most consistent pass catcher outside of Darren Waller, and he's been getting shots taken to him. And they go against the Atlanta Falcons this week. So like Zacchaeus, going up against the Raiders, you have Nelson Aguilar on the flip side, Targeting him down the field like they have at other times during this season should be available to them in this game. And this game is in Atlanta, which I think is important because I believe even if Julio does not play, this could be the one game that the Atlanta Falcons offense and Matt Ryan are actually able to put up some points and look competent because it is at home against a terrible Raiders defense. So I think that those opportunities are going to be there. I think you're going to see two teams that are going to try to be aggressive. I think Nelson Aguilar is somebody who's a wide receiver for that you can kind of take as a as a boomer bust option that you want to put into your lineup, depending on what roster construction. If you're looking to try to hit a home run, I think he can be an option there for you. Like the same thing goes with Brashad Perryman, 14% owned. Now, I here's what I will say though. Before we came on to the show, there have been more and more news that Sam Darnold is playing to practice this week and that he could possibly play this week. So here's my caveat to you. If Sam Darnold plays this week, I completely take off the mentioning of Brashad Perryman during the waiver wire report because I'm not going to play Brashad Perryman if Sam Darnold is the quarterback. This is strictly if Joe Flacco is still the starting quarterback in Week 12 because Joe Flacco wants to be able to throw the ball deep, and that's what he's going to look for, and he has that rapport already in place with Brashad Perryman. He, again, falls into this wide receiver 4, wide receiver 5, hit-or-miss type of guy because that's what I mean that's what he is he's a big play guy so if you want need to take a pop he's another guy who falls into that list and again as you go through these names this is why I want you to keep in mind that there's absolutely no reason for you to spend resources on any one of these wide receivers because whoever you don't get I guarantee you're going to be able to get one of them for absolutely nothing so don't spend priority on these guys don't spend fab budget on these guys save that for Gus Edwards you don't really need to use it I think frankly on anybody else on this list and that that's kind of what the dire part is of the waiver wire report this week but we still have some interesting names I think have some value also with Tim Patrick now Tim Patrick of all these wide receivers that we're going to talk about I think might actually have the most value uh, with the exception of one we'll get to him later on in the list but Tim Patrick 14% owned I've been talking about this guy for a long time now I think I mean, I, I not every single week, but almost every week since Cortland Sutton has gone down, I've talked about Tim Patrick being a waiver wire pickup, with the exception of the games that he had a hamstring injury, of course. Look, he he plays that role, and he plays that role very, very well. And the Denver Broncos are a team that are usually either coming back from behind or they're in back-and-forth games like they were against the Miami Dolphins. Tim Patrick gets leaned on. He does a little bit of everything. He's a big play threat. He's a red zone threat. He's a security blanket. He plays the Cortland Sutton role very, very well. And in his first game back, while it was four catches, 29 yards, he still had a touchdown. This game, he goes over 100 yards. It'll be, I believe it's the third time he's gone over 100 yards this season. This guy, to me, is a high-end wide receiver four who could possibly enter the low-end wide receiver three territory if we ever got some consistent play out of Drew Locke, which we know is just not going to happen. So you always have to kind of deal with that as the risk factor. But of all these receivers, with the exception of one on this list tonight, Tim Patrick's probably the guy that I would feel more most confident about if I had to go into a situation with taking out a wide receiver four off the waiver wire and plugging him into my flex. He would probably be the one I'd be feeling most confident about. Even more confident than the next guy, Michael Pittman. Now, Michael Pittman, I talked about him. I think he's a nice little stash play. 
And I gave you guys a warning about him yesterday of why I was kind of concerned. Because while he had 66 yards and a touchdown, he only had three targets. And that's one of the things I'm talking about when it comes to the Colts. There's such a rotation, not just the running back, which is always the big story every single week, but there's a rotation as who gets the ball on a consistent basis when it comes to the targets, who's getting the playing time, and everything like that. Now, here's what I will say. While he only got three targets last week, he did get more and more playing time. He is officially a starting wide receiver on the perimeter. It's him and T.Y. Hilton, and then they kind of rotate in with Zach Paschal and whoever else they feel like is the flavor of the week that week. Michael Pittman is somebody that I think you can have on your roster as a wide receiver for. I think of all the wide receivers, he has the best chance during the playoff run to establish himself and be leaned on as the number one targeted guy for that passing attack. He's looked very, very good. His development has definitely taken a big jump. I can tell it just from watching film from this half of the season, from the first half of the season. Plus, he was dealing with the injury on top of it, of course. But he's taken a big jump in that fact. He's understanding where he needs to be out there, and he looks very good after the catch. He has He's been running very good routes. And we haven't really even seen him be targeted in the red zone too much, something that was already a big part of his game coming out of USC in college. So Michael Pittman is somebody I think you can stash. He's a wide receiver for, but honestly, I'd rather have Tim Patrick because he's in a situation where I have more of a set target share that I know he's going to get in any given week, but he's a stash play. Sammy Watkins, that next guy up, 31% owned. I would probably put him right below Tim Patrick, only because he's going to have to deal with Travis Kelsey, he's going to have to deal with Tyreek Hill. So there's going to be times where he's going to have some famine because he has to play second fiddle to those guys. But it's the Chiefs offense. I just talked about it in the Sunday night recap. I looked at Demarcus Robinson. He got eight targets. There's no reason why those two can't get their double-digit targets like they have been lately and still get Sammy Watkins pretty heavily involved with a decent stat line at the end of the day. So Sammy Watkins, like I said, I expect him to be back in Week 12. I think he's a pretty good pickup. I think he's a high-end wide receiver 4, possibly low-end wide receiver 3, if he's able to walk back in and do what he was frankly doing at the beginning of the season because he was right there neck and neck with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey with targets on a consistent basis. He, was, I thought, was producing at a more efficient, especially a more consistent level, until he would got the hamstring injury this year than he was at any point last season. So Watkins is somebody definitely I feel like should be rostered. And right now, he's only 31% owned on average. The last receiver I want to talk about, and this, this is the guy that I, if he's available in your leagues, he would be my number one waiver pickup as far as receivers go. That's Corey Davis. 47% owned. I was a little bit surprised that on average he's only 47% owned, being that he's been pretty consistently a high-end wide receiver three with low-end wide with not even low-end, but wide receiver two type of weeks. This past week he went over 100 yards again. Uh, they haven't had, I talked about this with Tennessee Titans, talk about A.J. Brown and, and, and Ryan Tannehill especially, they just haven't had a good section of schedule over the past month or so. And they got one more tough match against the Colts. Corey Davis didn't, I believe he goosed, everybody actually the first time around which was two weeks ago I'm not going to look to play him this week but after this week their schedule gets much easier I think you're going to start to see the Tennessee Titans offense get back to being the Titans offense now they won't 100% be back to what they were because they're not getting Taylor Wan back at all this season but the schedule get easier to the point where guys like Corey Davis and AJ Brown and Ryan Tannehill will be more consistent and not as Jekyll and Hyde as they have been up until this point 
And I think this big win against the Baltimore Ravens was a nice little turning point. I saw some things, some concepts that I thought they had gotten away from that they got back to in this game, and I think really paid off for them in a big way, and especially from a confidence standpoint, because this is a team that was on a skid. Whenever you're on your skid, you're never feeling really that good about yourself. It was a big quality win for them. I think you're going to see the Tennessee Titans take a little bit of a turn of a corner moving forward here, especially after Week 12, especially after the Colts game. So Corey Davis is somebody that I definitely want as a low-end wide receiver three, frankly, heading into my playoff stretches, that a guy that I can kind of plug and play and rotate in there if need be with the target share that he's been seeing. Now, for these next you know slew of players that we're going to talk about, it's mostly due to guys that are running back handcuffs that you really should be owning. And I'm talking about Alexander Madison, who's only 35% owned on average. Tony Pollard, who's only 21% owned on average, which is absolutely ridiculous. Devontae Booker, who's only 6.6% on average owned right now out there in leagues. And then we'll get into, we have some more running backs on this list too, but they're not necessarily handcuffed guys. There's no reason on planet Earth, especially now that we know that Devontae Booker is the, the handcuff to Josh Jacobs, that Booker, Pollard, and Madison are owned in well over 50, 50% of leagues. We are down to the playoffs here, people. Ezekiel Elliott was dealing with hamstring tightness. That could flare up again at any given moment. Dalvin Cook went down for a game at one point this season. We know his injury history. Josh Jacobs, while he plays tough, and he, generally speaking, will play through whatever kind of injury he has, he's somebody who has dealt with nagging injuries this year and last year. These are big-time players. Oh, Latavius Murray is another one that I didn't even mention. 47% owned, so he's still available out there in more than 50% leagues on average. Latavius Murray, we know he's an RB1 if something were to happen to Alvin Kamara. None of these guys should be less than 50% owned now that we are approaching the playoffs. I can understand it beginning of the season, although with some guys like Alexander Madison, I can't understand if you're a Dalvin Cook owner why you wouldn't want to have Alexander Madison. But at this point in the year... The biggest thing is being able to handcuff yourself, protect yourself in case your biggest investment, your biggest players for your championship run go down before you're able to utilize them, before you're able to get to the playoffs. You have to protect yourself at this point. Have to. So Madison, if you're a Dalvin Cook owner, Devontae Booker, if you're a Josh Jacobs owner, Tony Pollard, if you're an Ezekiel Elliott owner, and Latavius Murray, if an Alvin Kamara owner, you have to own these guys if they're available in your leagues. You have to have to. And if you're in a position where you don't have any of those guys, but you are pretty much locked in, set in the playoffs, and maybe you have a spot or two at the end of your bench for a couple of lottery tickets, take a shot at some of these guys. Put them up. Put them up. Put them on your bench. If something were to happen to anybody, all of a sudden you went from a really good team to a juggernaut team because now all of a sudden you have RB1s and RB2s that you didn't even have all season long and you're in the postseason and you got there even without them in the first place. So They can be real difference makers, whether you have these guys or not, depending upon your situation. Make sure you own them. That is my big stress to you guys. Carlos Hyde, another guy on this list, 32%. For those, and I saved him for last for this reason, there's a lot of people out there that want to talk about, well, Rashad Penny might be on his way back, and he's been talked up by Pete Carroll. Look, the whole ship on Rashad Penny being something in the NFL, in my opinion, has set sail at this point. Now, I was never, I'll, I'll quantify this by saying I was never a big Rashad Penny fan to begin with. I didn't think there was anything special to his game. I thought he was an okay back. I thought he could do a little bit of everything, but nothing, nothing 
that you would be able to actually take with you, or nothing that I thought would actually resonate. And I never thought he was better than Chris Carson. That was really my biggest reason, I think, why I was never a Rashad Penny fan because we had that big debate when they first started who was it going to be. And I always thought, hands down, Chris Carson was immensely a better back just from watching them play side by side together. It, to me, it was never even close. Rashad Penny's just getting back from this injury. So even if he's back, he's still going to take some time to get back into game shape. And Carlos Hyde against Arizona just showed you what it is that he can do when he gets put in a situation to take over for Chris Carson and be able to lead them through a game. And I know it's been a little bit hit or miss because it seemed like every time Carson got hurt, somehow Carlos Hyde did too. But this game showed you got through this game unscathed and he came through as the handcuff that you wanted him to be. Carlos Hyde is a much better running back than Rashad Penny is. It's just simply put, he just is. So I don't see why they would suddenly make Carlos Hyde to third string and bring Rashad Penny off this injury that he still doesn't seem he's 100% ready to be in game shape for in any way after Carlos Hyde just proved to you what he can do when thrust into the starting role. And coming off of a year last year, we went over 1,000 yards with the Houston Texans. He's better than Rashad Penny. He's not going to be usurped by Rashad Penny on the depth chart. Carlos Hyde, as long as he's healthy, will continue to be Chris Carson's handcuff, plain and simple. So again, if you have Chris Carson, you should own Carlos Hyde. Now, the next few running backs that I do want to talk about are not necessarily handcuffs. These are guys that might have some value depending upon what kind of situation you're in. James White, 36% owned on average. Drex Burkhead, he's, we know he's going to be done for the year. And I talked about this in the recap yesterday. With him being done for the year, James White is going to be the bona fide passing down back. It's not going to be anymore. Let's mix Brex Burkhead in. We'll get you know half of the carries and we'll get half of the receptions. No, James White's not going to get ninety percent of those receptions. And frankly, it might be ninety five percent. It might even be more than that. As far as the running backs of the running back target share, he's going to get ninety to ninety five percent of those now. It's not going to be Damon Harris. They've already shown they won't they refuse to throw him the ball. We all know it's not going to be Sony Michelle even when he comes back, and I'm not even sure what he's going to be able to do when he comes back either. But we know they're not going to be involved in the passing game. It's just not how the, the Patriots operate. It will be James White. So, I mean, half-point PPR, I think I would think about it depending on what I desperately needed. If I needed a flex with a floor, if I need an RB2 with a floor, I would... I would contemplate it. Keep in mind, we don't have any bye weeks this week, though. So unless you're just banged up, that's the only thing you would be dealing with when it comes to contemplating James White. Now, in a full-point PPR league, that becomes a little bit more interesting to me in that situation where we know that he's a great target for to get six to seven receptions really every single week now that Rex Burkhead has, has been removed from the equation and the way the Patriots have been moving the football or, frankly, running their offense Cam Newton's become more and more of a check-down type of guy and trying to make things a little bit easier on him because it's clear that his his throwing arm is shot. I mean, it's his shoulder just doesn't have it anymore. There, there's going to be some games here and there, like we saw against Houston, where he'll be able to get it downfield every once in a while, but on a consistent basis, no. Cam Newton has to check the ball down. He can't really push it down the field too often anymore at this point. So James White, I think, is somebody very interesting to me, more so in PPR leagues where I think you can kind of utilize him as that guy that you just plug and play in your flex, plug and play in your RB2 if you're banged up. Or week 13, we do have a couple teams on by next week, even though we don't have any on by this week. Part of the scheduling changes that happen due to some games getting moved around earlier on uh, in the year. 
Again, I don't think you have to spend anything on him. I don't think there's been a priority on him. I don't think you have to spend fat budget on him because you're still talking about a guy who's strictly going to be in a pass-catching role, and it's still not Tom Brady back there, a quarterback, so he's not going to still see the same amount of ridiculous targets that he was seeing when Tom Brady was back there, but will still be more involved now with Rex Burkhead gone. The next one is Savannah Met. He's still 43, only 43% owned, so he's still more than 50% available on the major platforms out there. I think this past week proved that even with Matt Breida back in the lineup, he is the starting running back. He is the guy. Miles Gaskin will not be back this week. And Brian Flores, from what it sounds like from him, he refuses to put a timetable on it. So there's a real chance here that it's still a couple more weeks away before Miles Gaskin is able to come back. And even then, I talked about this in the preview show, or I talked about this on the DC's DFS Challenge show on Saturday night on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network at 9.30. You can always check it out then. I talked about how I believe that there's a real chance that he's better than Miles Gaskin and maybe doesn't lose this job because he fits everything Chan Gailey wants to do. And I think he does everything that Miles Gaskin does, but he does it with more power and he's more physical and he's just a bigger guy in general. And I think that's why Chan Gailey loves him so much. I think that's why he is their guy and might be their guy even when Gaskin comes back. But at least for the next couple of weeks, I believe it will still be for Gaskin. He won't have to worry about that. We know he works ahead of front, in front of Matt Breida. He's, at worst, a high-end RB3, depending upon the matchup right now. Savan Abed, at 43% owned, is definitely somebody you should be going after as a more longer-term play than just this week. Another longer-term play, if you're looking for somebody more so than just this week, would be Zach Moss. 46% owned. How is this guy still less than 50% owned out there? I know that having the Buffalo running back is not a sexy thing to have right now, whether it's been Zach Moss or Devin Singletary. It hasn't really mattered. I get that part of it. You're never going to feel good about playing him, but they just got out of a bye. What's a common thread we've seen outside the Indianapolis Colts, that is, with teams that have rookie running backs? They usually start to utilize them and let them take over coming out of the bye week. Zach Moss has already been trending in the direction of usurping Devin Singletary as far as who's on top on the depth chart. Now, will Singletary completely go away? No. And will there still be troubles with Buffalo actually involving the running back? Probably to some point. But Zach Moss is somebody who comes in, is a a flex play. He is a RB3, especially if he does usurp Devin Singletary and makes that, you know, the definitive line moving forward, which I believe that he will, especially coming off the bye week. So, yes, we're going to have to watch it. We're going to have to see it. But there's no reason that this guy should be sitting on your waiver wires out there right now, especially not at a less than 50% clip. Zach Moss is somebody who at least needs to be rostered as a possible flex option for you uh, for the rest of the season, frankly, from here on out. So that's why he becomes a little bit more valuable than some of these other guys in this situation. I would consider, depends on how badly I need a running back, but I would consider spending 10 to 15% of whatever's left of my fad budget to try to go ahead and grab him or even a top priority at that as well. The other guy that I would go crazy for is J.K. Dobbins, or I would not go crazy for for J.K. Dobbins, but I would want to make sure that he's on my roster as a potential stash play. Now, obviously, like I said, you know, with Gus Edwards being the top priority of the week, it's because Dobbins is not going to play this week. However, the door was opened for the idea that J.K. Dobbins might, maybe, possibly, would be the lead back moving forward after this past week 
where he operated well ahead of Mark Ingram, well ahead of Gus Edwards. There wasn't a three-man rotation. It was the J.K. Dobbins show. And that was something I've been harping on and asking for out of Greg Roman all season long. Not even necessarily just to give the ball to J.K. Dobbins, but to just knock off the three-man rotation and knock it from a three-man rotation to at least a two-man rotation to allow somebody to get into rhythm. I'm even better with the idea, not just because from a fantasy perspective, but I'm even better with the idea of J.K. Dobbins just being the lead back because he can run, because he can pass catch. If you need to go more thunder, if you need a tough little yard here, you can throw in a Gus Edwards, you can throw in a Mark Ingram, whichever one you want to do, and actually allow Dobbins to get into rhythm. He's the guy who can give you that extra element, who can give you that boost to the offense that, frankly, they are desperately looking for right now out of somebody because he has that extra gear to his game. Having said all that, I'm not going to go crazy after him because it was only one game. Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards are still healthy, except for the COVID issue with, with Ingram and Dobbins right now. But from a physical standpoint, as far as you know, they don't have any soft tissue injuries or anything like that, they are healthy once they come back in Week 13. At least that's what we expect them to be. We have only have one game where Greg Grumman has decided to actually go with one running back when all three have been healthy and active. So it's not enough for me to sit here and say that J.K. Dobbins is definitely going to trust him to be the guy moving forward. Because if I said that, then I would be expecting him and ranking him as a you know mid to top end RB2 the rest of the season. I'm not going to be there yet. Not at all. It has to take more than one game for me to suddenly decide that J.K. Dobbins is definitely going to be the guy moving forward. And now we won't even get to see what happens in back-to-back weeks because Dobbins is going to be out because of COVID and Gus Edwards is going to come in. So we're going to have to wait till week 13 to see if Dobbins being the lead guy actually stays true. And I think there's even less of a chance that happens moving forward now that they had this issue come up with COVID and that Gus Edwards will have to get back to it. So we'll see what happens. I do want to make sure I have Dobbins on my roster, though, because that performance last week does open the door for the possibility that maybe that is what they're thinking down the stretch with J.K. and having him be the featured guy. And if that winds up being the case, well, I want to make sure I'm the one who has Dobbins because he will be a game-changer, a league winner, if they actually allow him to take over to be the bell cow back. We don't know that's going to be the case yet. And if anybody tells you that they trust it or or know that's what's going to happen, they're lying to you because they don't know. It's not enough data to go off of. But there is a possibility of that happening, and you're going to want that on your roster without a doubt. Outside of that, the only other guy that I'm going to mention for the waiver wire report this week is going to be Adrian Peterson. I don't expect DeAndre Swift to be able to come back and clear concussion protocol in time for the Thanksgiving game, being that he was just such a late add with the concussion protocol last week in practice. It happened on Thursday. Now, you could say, like, well, if it happened on a Sunday, he would have a week, and guys have come back from a week. They have, but because this was so odd, and whether they, whether it was that they picked it up late or they picked it up in practice, either way, even the team itself was instantly like, eh, we kind of doubt that DeAndre Swift will really be able to go on Thanksgiving Day. I'm not expecting him to play in this one. Being that they were shut out and Carrion Johnson wasn't anything remotely special, even though he technically led overall in touches, I believe that against Houston, a guy like Adrian Peterson, a power back, is the better matchup against a defense that you should be able to run the football on. I believe they'll probably lean on Adrian Peterson more so, at least definitely let him dominate the carries over a carry on Johnson against Houston in this particular matchup just because of the way he matches up against this defense and because of the way how poorly they played 
a week ago. I think it's just clear that Adrian Peterson's a better, even at this age, is a better running back than what Carryon Johnson is. I think he'll get the bulk of the carries. I think he's looking at at least 15 carries in that game. And as a result of that, I think he's somebody who could be a high-end RB3, somebody you could plug and play this pos- this week if you need a fill-in at that RB2 spot, at that flex spot. I think he's somebody you're going to be able to do that, especially again in this matchup against Houston. And I do believe he'll dominate the carries uh, there as well. That is the last guy to talk about from the waiver wire port. Like I said, I'm spending my resources at Gus Edwards. I might spend some resources if I'm a team that's looking down the line with the J.K. Dobbins, uh, Corey Davis. Outside of that, everybody else, I'm going to kind of take the week to try to move further up the waiver priority or save my fab budget for week 13 and for the playoffs, depending on how your format is. So I know some leagues out there, they'll give you a new budget for the playoff teams, uh, which I think is actually the smartest thing to do, but it's not how all leagues work. So in case you're one of those leagues that does not get a you know a new budget for the playoff run, uh, this would be a time to kind of like save your resources because you're going to be able to get a number of these guys around the same value uh, for free later on in the week. That's going to wrap up the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We will be back, remember, at a special time on Thanksgiving, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on your Android app or WWSRN on iOS. We're always presented to you by Belly Up Sports and always available to you on your favorite streaming app, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you like to go. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is widely available to you. Follow us on social media at Show on Twitter and on Facebook, especially for those player news update notifications. Make sure, again, you tune in 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. waking up with the MD's Fantasy Football Show on Thanksgiving morning. We're going to preview all of the Week 12 games or preview all the early window week 12 games of course including the thanksgiving games themselves in that hour long show everyone be safe stay happy and we'll see you guys again on thursday mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing chumba casino this year i was only playing for fun so winning this was a dream come true chumba casino is america's number one social casino experience it's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from you too could win life-changing amounts of cash be like mary log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner 